Hello, beautiful. And what I really want to know is, what is really good in your life today? This is Kia, and this is another episode of the Female Veterans Podcast. Well, I have a really incredible woman with me today. She is a Army vet, and she is the founder of Invisible Combat. She is so, so focused on female veteran mental health. She wants to empower and bring awareness and help facilitate transformations of healing within all of us, which is so, so beautiful. So you know I had to have her on here. And you know what else? That's not even her day job. That's what she does on the side because you know how we roll as female veterans. We're always doing something for somebody, right? And so she's um, an officer working with the Equal Opportunity Department. Is that right? Is it a department in Fresno, California? In Fresno County, California. She ensures that people are not discriminated against. That's her job. <laughs> I love that. Not only that, she does diversity training, sexual harassment training, and she just makes sure that her county and her her city, the people who work there have a fair chance, people of color, people who don't have English as a first language that come here for the American dream. She helps them. And that's such a beautiful thing. And I couldn't wait to talk to her. This is a big story, you guys. And I can't wait. I can't wait for you to hear it. So welcome. And thank you for being a guest today, Miss Kim Bailey. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and talking to you over the last few days since we met. Mm -hmm. And I just, I can't wait to find out everything that you experienced as a woman serving in the Army. I came in the Army when I was in 2005, and I was active duty until 2010, and then I served in the Reserves until 2013. So tell me, what made you join the military? That's a really good question because I have so many different reasons why I joined the military. Um, so, you know, when I was younger, I was adopted and I was about, you know, I was about three years old and I was adopted. And um, continuing on in my childhood years, I was um, adopted into a Caucasian family. And so for me personally, you know, I'm a person with mixed ethnicity. So, I, you know, I'm a, a person of color, a woman of color. And um, that left me with a lot of identity issues, and I had a lot of, you know, problems understanding where I was and where I fit into the world and stuff like that. And so um, that kind of really reinforced this whole military thing with me. So um, I was trying to understand where I was and where I fit into the world and all those things. And I joined um, the, I, I was a cheerleader. So I went to Fresno State. And I was a cheerleader for President Day, like a really brief time in my in my life span or whatever. And um, and so because of my adoption history and all those things, I kind of got into like really bad relationships and like you know some of the toxic relationships that we experience as women sometimes, right? So surely, <laughs> so 
Exactly. So it wasn't something I wanted to be in forever. And so I, I realized that I need to do something different and I need to get out of the situation that I was in and not be where I was. So um, I thought about the military. I eventually, I mean, I originally really wanted to join the uh, Marine Corps. And so I went into the Marine Corps recruitment office and um, it was amazing. They're like, oh, you're going to be so in shape. You're going to do all these great things. That'd be like a badass, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can, can I say badass? You can say badass. <laughs> We're <Okay>. veterans. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? So I really want to be a badass. I'm like, this is so amazing. This is exactly what I want to do, right? So, because um, I was a gymnast. And I'm like, oh, this is right up my alley. I can totally do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so, I, so I went into Marine Corps office and honestly, they really were more interested in um, like a sexual relationship with me. Oh. Like the Marine, the Marine recruiter that I was like, you know, talking to and really excited about joining, she was more interested in like hanging out with me after hours. Like, hey, can I take you to the movies? Can I like, you know, hang out with you at my house? And oh all those different Here things, right? Go. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. So I was like, um, no, <laughs> I don't really, <laughs> this is not what I signed up for, right? It's not what I wanted. He was like, but you could totally get your college paid for it. <laughs> And I'm like, wow, really? But this is, this is not what I, yeah, this is not what I wanted. It's not what I thought. So I'm like, I don't know about this. So I, I did go to movies with him, though. For anyone that cares to know, I did go to movies with him. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think this is recruiting. This is not really what I wanted to do. So I'm like, okay. Wow, that's so, bananas. Yeah, exactly. So next door, um, there was an arm recruiter, and I was hanging out outside one day, out of the outside of the um, recruitment office. There was like a marine recruiter, an army recruiter, and an air force recruiter, right, right in the same um, facility. And so I was sitting outside, and the army recruiter came outside, and he was like, "What are you doing out here?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm waiting for my recruiter to come out here to, you know, to tell me more about the um, the testing, right? The testing we had to do." And he was like, well, come inside here and I'm going to tell you about what we're going to do, right? We're going to do for you. So I went in there and let me tell you, this man was so amazing. Oh my gosh. He was my mentor. He was just amazing. And he was army, right? And um, I'm still friends with him to this day. (laughs) So he's still friends with me on Facebook. We still talk. We still chat every now and then. He was so amazing. So he helped me. He guided me. He told me what job to pick. You know, he was really a great recruiter. And he was Army. <laughs> let me let me reinforce yeah. that. He was Army. And he was just amazing. So he took me to the recruiting office, got me my medical examinations, got me my ASVAB, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he helped me pick the job that I had. And I picked um, army. I mean, um, I picked um, to be a medic, so combat medic. So at the time, it was ninety-one whiskey. You know, they changed it eventually to sixty-eight whiskey, healthcare mm-hmm. specialist. But eventually, the, the, the originally it was um, it was a combat medic, right? So that's why I joined the military to get rid. So. so Backtracking. That's the reason why I joined the military was to get to get to go um, to kind of like get rid of to 
not get rid of. I'm trying to think. Um, to to forward progress, right, from my family history and to get a new mission and to find a new family and to just, you know, just to become different, right, and to, to grow to and get out of my city. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, get out of my like city, so right? many of us, right, to get out of our city, to see exactly. something different, to grow yes. as a person, to have experiences. Totally. I vibe with that. Exactly. Yeah. So that's incredible. Um, I, I really feel like you are so lucky to have such an amazing recruiter. Although I'm not mad at my recruiter. He did say one thing. He was like, the Navy was fun. If there was anything that I wanted to have fun, if there was a branch that I was going to have the most fun, go into the Navy and I would really have a good time. And he was not wrong. <laughs> it's not yes. about that. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. And I'm grateful for that. So he did not lie about that. Um, so tell me, you got into the army and you're all prepared to be a combat medic. Yeah. First you have to go to boot camp. What was boot camp like for you? Yes. Boot camp was amazing. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> At the time that I was in boot camp, I thought it was like terrible, right? Mm-hmm. We always think it's terrible. This is a terrible experience. Everyone hates us, right? right? But it was so amazing. Like, I can now, I can look back on it, right? Mm-hmm. And I can see all the amazing relationships I built and all the experiences that I built. It was just, it was amazing. Like, we did cadences, we did, you know, we did all these team-building experiences. I can tell you this. So, <laughs> this is really funny. So I wear glasses. You can see this. I have glasses on, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was in the military, of course, I had glasses, but I chose not to wear them because <laughs> of my, yes, let me tell you. So I didn't want to wear them because they were just the, the BCGs, right? <laughs> yeah, right. At the time. I don't know. Are you familiar with those? <laughs> yes. BCGs. Yeah. Birth control glasses for those mm-hmm. that don't know about these. Yes, they worked. <laughs> I wore those. <laughs> they may have worked, but they were the worst, the ugliest thing. And that they in the worked world, as right? birth control, I mean. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. So I didn't want to wear them, right? So I pretended, let me tell you, I pretended for like for like a really long time. I'm not going to say years, because it was like a few, a few weeks, maybe one week that I got away with this. So I didn't have glasses. I was walking around, not being able to see anything. So I was like, I, I was in, I was in line walking around, and people were like, "Do you know where they're going?" Nope, I don't know where they're going. But I'm gonna follow the person in front of me because I don't want them to know that I wear glasses. Let me tell you what happened to me when they found out that Ooh. I wore glasses. <laughs> Hold on, I have, to take, I have to take a sip because this is really, really impactful. <laughs> so, when they found out that I wore glasses, of course, they were not happy. <laughs> and they found out only because I w- they put me in front of a line. And I had to walk somewhere, and I'm like, I don't know where they went. I can't, I can't find out where the person in front of me went. So they're like, oh, no. do you wear glasses? The drill sergeant was like, do you wear glasses? 
like, yep. <laughs> done. It, it was a done deal. Done deal. They were like, okay, well, let me let me see them. Go get them. So I got them. Had to put them on. It was the ugliest thing in the world. Everybody knows, right? If you see these, are not the prettiest yeah. things. We no. don't feel attractive in them. Mm-mm. We don't. We don't want to wear them. Mm-mm. But I could totally see, right? So <laughs> this was really important when I went to the range. <laughs> Incredibly yes. important experience that I needed to to have. But let me tell you what happened to my um, battle buddy. So because I wasn't wearing my GCGs. The drill sergeant decided to put me in front of the whole platoon. No, not, not even the, the whole unit, right? And stand in front of them and say, your battle buddy didn't care about you. We didn't care about, she didn't care about you. She wanted you to suffer, right? So I got to watch the whole unit bear crawl around the building at least 20 times, right? I mean, they literally had bloody hands. Their hands are bleeding. Oh, my God. Um, they were also, believe me, I saw them all. They wanted to show them to me, you know, <laughs> of course, after the incident. Oh, my God. And um, they had a bear crawl at least 20 times. And so and I got to stand there and watch them and do this. So this is, my, this is my basic training experience. The experience that I had was that I do not operate as an individual unit. I operate as a team. And if I make a mistake, everybody suffers, right? And if I make a mistake, people die. So I learned that really quickly in basic training. Um, and after this incident, so this is one of the, the really early on incidents that I experienced, right? But after this incident, um, one of my drill sergeants, who was like really highly respected because he was, you know, he was mean, right? He was kind of, you know, he was kind of tough, right? He pulled me aside because he, he was leaving our unit. So he was, he was about to leave. He wasn't going to stay for the whole time. And he was like, I am so proud of you. He was like, you are my favorite. Aww. I'm so proud of you. Yes, girl, I cried. I was like, this is so important to me. Because it was so important. Because he was just like... I, I just feel like you were just going to do great things and you were just so important to me. And um, before before he um, left our unit, he put me as platoon sergeant. Let me tell you. He put me as platoon sergeant, but wow. there was no female platoon sergeant. The reason why he did that was because I had the highest PT score <laughs> out of all of my counterparts. Okay. And I had, girl, let me tell you, yes. So I was a gymnast before I came to the military and I was a, you know, I was a cheerleader, right? Mm-hmm. So people were like, oh, cheerleaders or nothing, right? But I was a gymnast. So I, I did a lot of, you know, flipping and all those things, right? Before I came to the military. So, you know, the military, the basic training, it wasn't that hard for me because I was like, okay, well, I was really in shape before I came there. So, you know, it was kind of like, this is fun. This is really good. I love this, right? And so, um, so when he told me that he was super proud of me and he was just like just mind blown by how great I was, right? It, it was really, it really impacted me, you know, because after he left, 
it wasn't like that, you know. It, right. Some of the um, the male drill sergeants, they were like, they, they kind of they gave us a really hard time, you know, as you know, and um, and so after that, it was like, you know, wasn't that great? And then, you know, in during um our graduation and everything like that, I didn't have anybody that came, you know, so because yeah. I was in foster care, right, and I then I went either. to an adoptive family, and I had nobody that showed up. So yeah. just, I wish I knew who, what his name was, right? His first, his first name, right? So I could tell him how impactful his message was for me because I didn't have anybody to come to my graduation. I didn't have anybody there. So what he said was like super impactful to me. And I, I can remember this to this day, you know, him saying this, cause I'm like, yes, I was great. You know, yes. <laughs> I was a platoon sergeant. He made me a platoon sergeant. Yeah, because I, you know why? Because I was a PT stud. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, was, it was great. I, I loved my um, my um, my time in basic training. Yeah, that's amazing. That was a, lot. a great story. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. I liked that, and I gotta love the drill sergeant with the heart of gold. Gotta love that. Yeah. Um, so tell yeah. me then after boot camp you went to training. And so tell me, what was your active duty experience like after boot camp? Oh my God. So can I, I can tell you, well, can I tell you one more thing about my training? Yes. So, so I went into um, advanced individual training, right? And so when we moved from basic training to advanced individual training, um, I was a medic, right? So I was a combat medic. So we went into you know EMT training and whatnot. So um, it was really interesting for me because when I went into that training, I during the middle part of training, we were allowed to have MySpace or like computer, right? Computer wow. access, right? So for me, yeah, I'm just saying MySpace because um, for, we had computer access, so I was able to access MySpace <laughs> during MySpace, right? That's um, I found out <laughs> exactly that was the big thing back yeah, then. That's huge. So that was back in I want to say like 2000 and 2010, maybe I don't know 2000. I don't know. <laughs> my face was a long time ago. So um, so we ha- I had my face or whatnot, and I found out two things. One, the the guy that I was dating prior to coming to the military had died. So he had, yes, girl, yes. So he had gotten into a car accident and I passed away. And I didn't know about this because I was in basic training and I, didn't, I really didn't talk to people. The only people I talked to in basic training was my immediate family, you know? Mm-hmm. So I didn't find this out until I got to advanced individual training and I was able to access computers, you know, because that, that was probably during midway into our training, right? Yeah. And um, so I found this out, and I was like, well, you know, so he passed away. So this is like a greedy process that I had to go through, right? I was like, you know, I'm kind of sad about him dying because it was something that we had just started, right? We were just just blossoming into whatever could happen, right? So I was kind of sad about that. And then on top of that, okay, so I met my, my biological mother. So she messaged me on MySpace, which is 
it's really ironic because, you know, yes, oh, yes. So she messaged me on my face and was like, I have been looking for you for a very long time. It, it was just mind blowing to me. I'm like, wow, like, this was my mother, like my biological mother, right? Because I was adopted and it was mind blowing. So she, she was like, well, can I call you? Right. And so at that time, I was in advanced individual training, right? So we were at AIT. And she couldn't call me just to call me, right? So she had to call me during the hour that I could use the phone, right? Mm-hmm. To that, you know, because, of course, I didn't belong to myself. Right? I belonged to other people. That's right. So I, had, I told her to go ahead and call me in the morning before formation. Because we had a formation that we had to do, right? And I'm like, well, call me, you know, call me a couple hours beforehand. I will make sure that I'm awake and I will answer the phone so me and you could talk. Right about whatever you want to talk to me about. Mm-hmm. I was super. By the way, I was super excited because you know I didn't know my mother and mm-hmm. I didn't know much about her. And growing up, I had a really huge identity problem. Right, mm-hmm. and a lot of the identity problem. A lot of the reasons why I, um, you know, overcame that identity problem was fantasizing about what my mother was like. You know, about what. Yeah. I, I think a lot of foster children will probably have similar, you know, feelings about this, about fantasizing about what their mother and their parents are like, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had these huge, she had, she had really huge uh, breaches, right, to fill. Because I'm like, she's yeah. this amazing person who's going to save me and who's going to make, make my life so amazing, right? And, um, it wasn't like that when I found out, you know, it, it really, um, you know, it, it really, um, what is it like, um, diminished a lot of the things that I thought about myself. Um, when I found out it really happened. So, <laughs> but it's interesting because it happened literally in AIP. So I told you to call me when I was going to formation. So the next morning, right. I got up, got, my uniform, I was about to go into formation for PT, right? And um, I got this phone call from her. Mind you, I literally just found out my boyfriend had died. <laughs> so I'm yes. like, oh, you know, life sucks, somebody. You know, life is terrible. I'm feeling like, point, life right? was like a lot. Like it was like just a lot was going on. Yeah, it, just, it, just wasn't, it wasn't good, right? I, I felt like crap, right? I'm not going to say mm-hmm. it. I felt like crap. So, I got this phone call from my mother and I answered it, of course. And I'm like, okay, so I'm so excited to hear from you. What's going on? Tell me about me, right? Tell me about where I came from. Like, I'm just, I need to know, sure. right? Girl, let me tell you. So, oh my God, I, I don't even know how to say this. So she answered the phone and she was like, let me tell you where you come from. Oh boy. So, so my mother was sexually assaulted. Oh, and, um, yes, girl, yes. So she was sexually assaulted. And, um, I was a twin. She had, um, I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna cry about this part because it's, it's, it's really emotional to me because it really impacted the rest of my life. <laughs> Everything that happened after my, after this, after my, in my military experience. 
really impact was impacted by this, you know, this message, right? So she had told me that, of course, I was a sexual assault victim. Her step, her stepfather had sexually assaulted her. Oh god! At this point, oh my god! Yeah, so it, it just wasn't a good thing, right? She was like maybe thirteen years old, right? Oh my! God. And so, um, so I had a twin, and my twin was um killed basically. Um, during the time when, you know, before we were born. So it, it wasn't a good thing, right? It, was, it wasn't a good message to hear, right before formation, right? And so I, I was crying and I was really sad. And so the drill sergeant, Drill Sergeant Lopez, I, he, honestly, he's really amazing because I have to have pictures of him and me together. <laughs> he was really amazing. He came upstairs and was like, Private scooter, why are you not? Why are you not down in formation, right? And I'm, I'm crying. You know, I was there looking yes. like looking crazy, right? <sighs> looking crazy. And he's like, okay. He literally looked at me, turned around, and walked right back out. <laughs> he was like, I'm not gonna deal with this. So he left. He went and got a. He went and got another unit drill first. Um, and told her, uh, got a female, right, and said can you please come to my unit and talk to this female soldier because she was really upset, right? So an African-American drill sergeant, I said African-American because um, she probably had a lot more like empathy, right, for my situation when she came in. So she came in and sat with me and, and held me while I cried. So she was holding me while I cried. Yes, yes exactly. So I can't say that um, military people, if they have no empathy, they don't care, right? Because there are amazing leaders. And I, I mean, was one of them to understand. Right? Yeah, exactly. So I didn't have, like, terrible experiences in the military. Mm -hmm. I had some good experiences, too, right? So she came up there, and she held me, and she was like, how do we make this better? Like, I cannot tell you how amazing this woman was. I don't even know her name, honestly, because at that point when she came in, I was just crying hysterically, and I was just, you know, I just felt really bad, right? I, I felt like I didn't belong in this world. Oh I just felt God. really, really terrible, right? So when she came inside, and she was holding me, and, you know, and hugging me, and she was telling me, you matter. You're so important, right? Oh. And she was like, um... Wait, how do we make this better? Yeah. Exactly. And she was like, how do we make this better, right? And she, so, so she came up with the idea to invite my mother to come down to um, the unit and to let me have a, a weekend off. So let me tell you. So the military, there is some amazing people in the military, some just phenomenal leaders, right? There are. There, there really are. So even though my story has some really terrible things that happened to me after this, I want everybody to know that some of my story has some phenomenal leaders. She did some amazing things for me. So she got my mother to come, and I got to meet my mother for the first time. So I was able to leave the base, even though I wasn't posted because I was in training, right? They let me leave the base and spend a whole weekend with her because that was the first time I ever met her. The first time I ever um, realized I had brothers and sisters 
and then I had siblings, right? And uh, it just, um, it was so amazing. It was so ridiculously amazing. I can't even tell you. So my AIP experience had that in it. Oh my um, goodness. You know, that I got to, I got to experience being mother for the first time and really, really understanding where I came from. And, you know, um, that was one of the primary reasons um, that reinforced me joining the military, right? Because I'm over here trying to figure out who I am, trying to figure out, you know, where I fit into this world, that I find this out. And I'm like, you know what? I have to make a difference in this world. So I already knew at that, that point that I was going to do something great. Wow. That is, oh my God. And that's just, you know, training school, <laughs> not even yes, official God, yes, active yes. duty like staff. Oh my goodness. Yep. That's wow. I am really yep. blown away by that. So tell me in your foster family, were you an only child or did you have siblings there? No, I was not an only child. I had, um, I had siblings. I had um, two brothers and a sister. Uh, they were all older than me, but um, you know, we weren't really, we weren't really very close. So um, they're my siblings. But you know, when, when I came to live with them, and I was adopted, right, at a very, pretty young age. So when I came to live with them, they were already kind of older. And um, my, my mother's, um, their father, basically, remember the husband, right? He was killed in a drunk driving accident. Oh no! Like, but pretty much when I was born, so back in '84, it kind of shows them my age and stuff like that. But <laughs> he was, you know, he, he died in the junk driving accident back in '84. So I, I never knew him. So my mother was a, you know, my doctor mother. She was um, a single mother, right? So she raised all of us by herself. Um, and I'm not going to say that it, it was a bad experience. She did a phenomenal job for what she had the resources for. You know, I can say for what she had the access, the resources for, she did a great job. She had mental illness and, you know, she did have um, some, some issues, you know, and because my studies and adverse childhood experiences, I can say that now that, you know, she did have some, you know, she had some, some um, adverse child experiences of herself, right? That kind of, um, you know, encourage the way that she treated us, right? So I can look at my situation now through a therapeutic lens because I have that degree background, background. And I can say that, you know, it, was, it really wasn't her fault, right? She, she tried her best with what she had, the knowledge that she had, right? But it wasn't the best for me, right? Right. So, yeah. I definitely can understand that on a very personal level. So, um, okay. Oh. Now you're done with AIT. What was, what was the rest of your experience like? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, good and bad. I had some really great experiences in the military. I'm not going to lie. I had some really good experiences. So, um, when I went to the military, I went straight to my unit, right? I was a combat medic and, um, I had the opportunity to save lives. I mean, what is better than that? Right. That is so amazing. I saved lives. I can't even, I'm like, who can you compare that with? Right. What can you compare that with? Right? 
So, um, so some of the people that I see life for was we were right in the middle of um, the Iraqi and Afghanistan war. So our unit was overseas. And so some of the um, individuals who had, you know, injuries, like really substantial injuries, they were medevac right to us. So we literally were called all hours of the night, didn't matter what time, two, three, four, five in the morning, right? We were there and we were stabilizing them and we were holding their hands. Literally, I could tell you some of the, some of the stories that I have holding hands of individuals that came off those medevacs and just like telling them, look, you're going to make it. You are going to live, you know, I'm going to cry because it's really emotional to me because I like people don't say we live that we literally saved life. Like it was it's amazing. Like sometimes there was like 30 people in our hallway. Right. And we literally had to stop and say, where does this one belong? Does he belong in the OR? Does he belong wherever he belongs? Right. And we had to hold their hands and talk to them on the way to the operating room. Right. That was our job. That was our mission. You know? So, oh so part of it's, it's, it's very, yeah, it's very amazing to think about all the work that we did as medics overseas. Um, even though we weren't necessarily um, combat in, in, in the actual field, right? We did so much work to save the life of the people that came from those units. And it was amazing. Um, I can't even tell you, like, how amazing that was. It was, it was so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So... That's what you did during the day. And you said, um, now, where exactly were you stationed? What was your base? Yeah. So um, thank you so much for that. <laughs> we were in Launstow, Germany. So I was overseas in Launstow. And um, that was the middle ground between the battlefield and the state, right? So a lot of the soldiers that came to us were severely wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, it came to, literally directly from the battlefield. Like we had helicopters that came right to us, and we literally got a call in our barracks or wherever we were, right, to say, "Come to the ER right now." And we would like literally we would just get there, right? And yeah, we were like, we would just stabilize them. Yeah, exactly. We would stabilize them. We would take them to the OR wherever they need to go. I mean, I had instances where some of my soldiers like didn't make it. Right. And I literally had to hold their hand until they didn't make it. It, it, oh, it was, my yeah. My heart, I can't, <laughs> I just can't. Yes. 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 It, it was traumatic. It was very traumatic. And this is outside of regular tra- trauma. You know what I'm saying? Like this is like what we dealt with on a regular basis. What our regular day to day jobs were. Right. Do you overseas? Think- do you think you ever got desensitized to it? Like yes, it I think we like did. Yes. Absolutely. I think we did. Yes. Wow. I Unfortunately, can't, yes, I, cannot, I, think we did. I know that it happens is why I asked, but I just can't imagine like, you know, you see you're, they're bringing people in the copters. So 
I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I am a hospital corpsman. Is what I was. And yeah, you did. Yeah, and, you did say that. And um, I did. No, I didn't go because Desert Storm, which was when I served, so I'm dating myself, was coming to an end. <laughs> and I didn't do field med. So I, my job primarily in, was in the pharmacy. However, I did have to go do a training. You know, they put the tents up and we were, I think we were in Palm Springs and it was like a crazy experience. It was a complete actual simulation. And so I had a different job during this and this would have been my job if we went to war, but it was Mm -hmm. bring, I was in charge of bringing the guys from the helicopter and putting them where they belonged. So, and that's what my job would have been had I gone according to this training exercise. And so even though it was training, it was so realistic (laughs) that it was just like really jarring. So I can't, it's hard for me to imagine it becoming to the point where it happens so regularly and so every day that you become desensitized to it. Yet I know that that's what happens. And that's why I wanted to ask that question. Like if if that's what your experience was. Yes, absolutely. It it really did happen that way. Like, like we literally like um what's it called when when, when you like um we programmed our day to include that into it it was it just wow. was so amazing like to think about this because like you know so i worked in the pediatric unit right so i worked with um our, my regular day um job was to help um young people right like youth right and then I went in the CBI unit, so I, I worked with um, other soldiers who had traumatic brain injuries and things like that. So I worked in that unit for a little while, and I worked in the um, oncology unit, so I dealt with like a lot of um, soldiers who had cancer and HIV, you know, things like that. So I, I worked in that, that unit for a little while, too. So I had, like, you know, I touched every single unit. That was my regular day job. Right. And then on top of that, I had my on-call jobs, which were to save lives, <laughs> you know, save lives, right. right? And it was saving lives of my soldiers, right, who were out there saving lives, right? So it was just, it's amazing. It was an amazing opportunity, but it was it was so it was traumatic because you know we um. I mean, some of the people that I saved, right, that I, I held the hands of, I literally held their hands, right, where they were being transported to the OR, or to wherever they needed to go, right? Mm-hmm. And they would talk to me. Some of, the, ones that could, the ones that could talk, right, not all of them could talk, right? right? The ones that could talk were telling me stories about their experience, right? And it was it was so it was like it really hurt right you know it it was like you know I can't even explain it's hard I can imagine I want to cry I just I can't explain it because they were just so you know they were so important in this war and I just can't explain it you know like I think at one point I actually like watched somebody pass away <gasps> while I was holding their hand, you know, like walking them back to the situation. And it just, 
these these soldiers, you know, a lot of them were just so young. Yeah. So full of light and potential, right? It's just Yeah. You got me emotional. You got me in my feelings, girl. I just, because it, it's something that, um, Continue on. It, it, it just, I just want to say that it is something that is so important. Like something that has always been really personally important to me because we're so young when we go in and all these wars that we fight, like, it's easy to forget, like not for us because we're veterans, but for for the main civilian population to forget that all of these people, these people were people, right? They had potential, they had yeah. dreams, they had hopes, they had a vision for the future, they had family, they had maybe children, they had best friends, they had people who loved them and and they go and they serve their country and they don't ever come home. And so many of us that do come home, come home broken and, and damaged and, and, you know, maybe even end up on the street. You know what I mean? And this yeah. is why I do oh, what I do. This is why, you know, you do what you do with invisible combat. And, and it's just, we all understand what you're saying. Everyone that's listening that's a female veteran understands your emotion and understands what you feel. And I feel that. Like, it's, you really got me in my feelings because that's part of it. That's your experience. And, and it's, and you did that every day. And that's like, I can't even, oh, I can't even imagine that. And I don't, and, and it would be hard for me to live with even today, the memories of it. So I give you your props for continuing on. And speaking of continuing on, tell me more. Tell me more about your experience, what has happened while you were serving. And that was just work. Yes. That was just your day job. <laughs> that was, yes, exactly. I'm like, that was like, you took my everyday job. Yeah. So that, that, and that sucks. Like, it really did. But outside of that, right? So outside of my medic responsibilities, right? So, Within the first year that I had been stationed at my um, unit or whatever, um, my NCIC, he actually committed suicide. So, oh yeah, I don't think I told you this when we first started talking. So, literally, like, within the first couple weeks when I had been there um, at my unit, of my NCYC, who was in charge of the um, anesthesiologist um, section or whatnot, yeah, he committed suicide. And um, our unit was like, kind of like, what's going on? Why is this happening, right? And this is like the first experience that I had. I'm like, I don't know what's going on this year. Why is this happening? So after um, his suicide, it was very, um, you know, it was very surreal for me. I had to learn what what that meant, right? Like what it meant to have somebody actually commit suicide, right? In a unit. And because um, at that at that point in my life, I had no idea what mental health meant or what any of those things meant. Right, because mm-hmm. I hadn't been um, exposed to any of those things. 
Um, so I was really new to all of those things. And I remember after that happened, um, you know, it was kind of like, you know, similar uh, um, in cohesion, right, to finding out my boyfriend at that time had passed away, right? And so mm-hmm. my boyfriend that I was dating before I came to the military had, you know, gotten into a car accident, right? He, so he had um, gone to a car accident, right? And he had um, been hit by um, a diesel truck. Oh. During a yeah, you know, a red light accident, right? So, How awful. yeah, that that was the man that I was dating before I went to the military, and so I kind of was kind of you know kind of dealing with that, right? When I came to, into the military, along with the information that I had gotten right from my mother um, at that time, okay. so. You know, you know, you can understand how I wasn't dealing with that properly, right? I was trying to repress that. I was like, I, I don't, this doesn't matter. None of this matters, right? I'm going to go into military. Life is going to happen for me, right? It's going to be beautiful for me. I don't have to worry about this. And um, that's what I thought, right? That I don't have to deal with none of this stuff. None of this stuff matters, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, that wasn't the case. I mean, I got right into my unit, and then, like, literally right when I got there, my NCYC committed suicide. <laughs> and, wow. I mean, it, it didn't affect me as much as you would think it would affect me because I didn't really know him too well. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is really sad, right? <laughs> you know, so this yeah, is really sad. Super sad. And, um, of course, this is sad. I'm like, we're going to move on from this, right? All of us, right? We had, um, you know, we had meetings about it. And we talked about it as a unit, right? That we're going to move on from this, right? This is going to move on from mm-hmm. um, But for me, it was difficult for me to move on from because I had, you know, my ex-husband, my, my ex-boyfriend, I mean, that has committed suicide. And so... It was hard for me because I'm like, I didn't deal with that. You know, I didn't deal with that death. And I act like it didn't matter to me because I don't want to look as a weak person, right? When I, I, I was like, I was coming into this unit, I was coming in this new um, position, right? Uh, this really tough person, right? And I don't want to come with, with any baggage, right? I don't want to come with any other situation. Yeah. And maybe look at how I was weak. And um, so the death of Alan, which is my boyfriend at the time, right? That made me look weak. So I'm like, I'm not going to tell anybody about this. I'm just going to internalize this. And that was the beginning of my problems. Internalizing my situation and never talking about my problems, right? That was the beginning of the end for me. But it was like, a, it was a cultural component of the military. So we learned really early on in the military that we, we don't talk about our situations. And we, you know, we suppress those situations, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, do you resonate with that? I absolutely do. I mean, that's common knowledge. I mean, actually, my husband, I got married when I was in the Navy really young. Mm-hmm. 
as we often do. And um, he worked on the psych ward. So um, mm-hmm. he worked in psych and, um, and it was just like, well known that that's not where you wanted to go. That's like, you don't, you don't go up there. <laughs> like, you know, if you have problems, you don't, that's not where you take them. You know, I mean, it was, there was, I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that there is a stigma and I was aware mm-hmm. of the stigma of going and utilizing mental health services while I was serving. I probably could have used some. I just didn't know it at the time, <laughs> but I would know mm-hmm. because there was a stigma surrounding utilization mm-hmm. of mental health services on the base. Yes. So, and the base is a small place and people talk. So. Exactly. Oh my God. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, okay. So after that happened, right. And, um, and the whole, you know, the suicide happened. It, it was really bad, right? We had to talk a little bit about mental health, right? But it wasn't enough, right? We didn't talk enough about it. So, like, you know, within a year of my time there, I unfortunately experienced a military sexual trauma while I was there. And um, it's just too common. It's. Yeah, it's it's very hard it's to. Really yeah, it's it's so hard to discuss because, like you said, it's it's so common and it's it's very um, it's just so preventable. Yeah, you know, for it to happen, and so that's what makes me upset so much. But so, I experienced a sexual trauma um, that left me with a. Um, uh, mild traumatic brain injury. Oh my! God. So I had a head injury during this time. Oh my God, girl. And um, yeah, it, it's not it's not fun. It was it was terrible. It was a terrible situation, you know. But um, I know, honey. So during the time when I had that head trauma, um, I, I didn't tell anybody because so after it happened, I was so afraid to say anything because. Earlier, I told you that I had found a family, right? And I, because I was adopted, and I really wanted to fit in, right? It was, it was my, it was my purpose in life, right? The purpose in life is to fit in and to find some people who love me, right? So, at that point in my life, I thought I did. I thought I found people who cared about me. I felt like. Like I had had people who really loved me, and then this happened to me, right? And um, the individual who had assaulted me was an NCO, right, a non-commissioned officer. No. So yeah, so this person who had assaulted me was a non-commissioned officer, and uh, he was. Um, well known in the unit, so people knew who he was. So I didn't. Say, so I didn't want to say anything. So right, like right after the incident happened, I took all of my clothes. I took all of my bed sheets. Everything that was evidence, right? I took it and I threw it away. Oh, honey. I took it and I. I, I walked over to the unit dumpster and I threw it away because I'm like, I don't want anyone to know about this. 
says, if they find out about it, I'll be looked at like I'm not for the team. You know what I mean? So oh I, I was like, I was, and I know, I know you can mend me with this because you probably have had other females who have talked about this situation, yes. right? So yes. they, they could probably resonate that they didn't want to feel like they were outside of the team. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, a, it's a really, really um, cultural phenomenon, right? Where you feel like, like, if, if you don't fit in, then you don't fit in, right? So for me, I felt like if I told anybody about it, I would not be part of the family that I was creating for myself. I was adopted, and this was my family. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You don't be sorry. You don't ever need to be sorry. You don't need to be So, this is my family, right? So, 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 um, I threw my clothes away, right? I threw my, um, everything that was evidence, right? I threw it away. I went back, I, I took a shower, I put some blood off my head, right? Because I had blood on my head because I had a head injury that I didn't know about, right? Well, I, I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't know about it, right? So, I took a shower, everything that I need to do to wash all the shame, all the guilt off of me, right? Oh, I know, sorry. And so, um, so I went back to work, and I, I um, everything was back to normal. Everything's cool, right? And that's how I found out that I was pregnant. Oh. And I found out that I got pregnant about three or four weeks after the incident, right? So after I found out I was pregnant, I went to my NCYC, and I was like, look, this is what happened. This is what's going on because I wasn't married, right? I didn't have any, any, any claim to a baby, right? So I'm like, I have to tell somebody because if I don't tell anybody, I'm going to look like I'm a slut, right? So, you know, so I had to tell somebody. So I went and told her. And um, after I told her, she was like, well, tell our commander. So she went and told the commander. And um, when she told the commander, she called me in. It was kind of like, it wasn't really about um, catching the person. It was more like, she was telling me that he didn't want me to let this happen to somebody else, right? So he was, it, it was like a, a, a non-informed, non-trauma-informed kind of approach, right? What? Like, 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 we don't want this to happen to somebody else. So you have to tell us, because if you don't tell us, you're going to cause somebody else to rape, right? Wow. So I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what to do, you know? So I'm like, I have to tell him? So, so for me, I felt like compelled to tell him who was. I wasn't going to tell anybody because I was afraid. Let me tell you, I was afraid of what would happen if I told him. 
And let me tell you, what I was afraid of happened. Of course it did. <laughs> so it, was, it was so insane. It was like, I don't want to tell you because of what happened. But when I, to- when I told you, everything I was afraid of happened. Goodness. So when I told him who it was, he was like, oh, that's, that's a shit bag, right? He was a shit bag. So he, I don't know who told, but everybody found out. Every single person in my unit found out. Oh my God. Let me tell you what happened. I walked down the hallway and people would turn around and like walk the other way. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry what happened to you. So sorry. You did not deserve that. 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 Is not your shame. I would sit down and people would stand up and like walk away. And this was the family that you were so afraid to lose. And they did that to you. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. I apologize. Okay, take your time. Take your time. You're okay. This is your truth, your story. You don't have no shame to bear. These people were horrible people. Yes, when I kind of walked down the hallway, people turned, people would turn around and they not look at me. When I was in the cafeteria, people, people would get up and walk away. Or when I would. So, I'm sorry. So, when this happened, I requested to um, have some time off, right? Because, um, yeah. you know, I was like, I can't, I can't deal with this. This is not fair for me. No. So, I requested to have some time off. So, my command allowed me to have a month, right? It said, you would have a month off and you can go TY for a month. So I took a month and I went home and I hung out with my friends and uh, this is a really difficult time for me to talk because so I went home and I um, decided to understand so no it's okay um so i decided to not have a baby because i my mother my mother and my friends were like this is better for you because if you don't have a baby things can go back to normal right so things can go back to normal so i decided that this is what was best for me, that I could go back to my unit and never have to worry about the situation that we in, right? So,
Take your time. It's amazing to think about how much things can affect you. Many years later, right? Yeah. Unresolved traumas. And these are trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma. Right. So the fact that I didn't keep the child in the situation, and I went back to my unit, um, the JAG officer, of course, was like, we don't want to put you through this situation. So, because the fact that you didn't keep the baby, you're like, we can't hold this person accountable. Right? So, oh, I had to live, I had to live through the non-justice. Right? That's not, it's me. Sorry. You're okay. I'm not experiencing justice because of the situation that I had experienced, right? So that was something that I had to experience as a moral injury. Because so, uh, you know, a lot of my advocacy work that I talk about now, I talk a lot about moral injury, right? And um, how our moral injuries can affect our suicidal ideation. You know what I mean? So this is a huge moral injury for me as a military sexual survivor because of that that I had to I had to see a pregnancy that I really wanted to keep, you know, because I was a sexual assault um product of a sexual assault. Right? So for me, I really was um really looking forward to keeping that a tradition. You know what I'm saying? So when it didn't happen to me, it was very difficult to to overcome. I'm sorry. It's so you know what, there's a lot of strength in a woman who could survive an assault and want to keep the baby and raise the baby and love the baby just the same. That is uncommon. That is extremely uncommon and rare to find. I don't know that I could do it. I don't know that I could keep the baby. You know, I'm just, I'm astonished by that quality within you to just be able to, to have wanted to, you know, because of what had happened to bring you into the world. And it just gave you a different perspective where the baby could have been loved. So I, I definitely, I deeply as an empath can feel your pain and understand how much that must've hurt you to have to do that, you know, and, and how that would have deeply impacted your, your own life and relationships and, and your relationship to yourself even after the situation and then to not get justice for the assault on top of it. It's just, it's like I said earlier, it's trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma in succession that are unresolved. 
So I definitely understand what you were going through at the time. Okay. So, uh, so go ahead and ask me another question. You ready? Okay. So what was the rest of your time in like, did you face any more obstacles while serving? Yeah, okay, so um, I, I apologize to all your listeners, but all the things that have me feel so emotional. I'm so sorry. And you guys, this is the first time she's telling the story, so I know you understand. You can hear it. I know that you understand. It's important to share these stories because they, they help not only the person who's telling them to get it out so that, you know, it gets air on the wound so it can heal. And it helps listeners that aren't quite ready to tell their story yet so that they know that they're not alone and that someone understands them. And of course, as I always say, this story that you're telling might be someone's survival guide. They might hear how you came through all of this and hear how you overcame so many life obstacles to be where you are now with this beautiful life and beautiful family and creating a not-for-profit organization to help other veterans and realize that they can do it too. They can get up out of bed. They can face their trauma. They can begin their healing journey or continue their healing journey or restart their healing journey and get into a way of life that is more beneficial and more happy and more successful for them personally and more holistic where they feel more healed. So I I can't tell you how much I admire your strength for sharing your story raw, raw as hell and emotional as you need to be. This is a platform for you to speak your truth. You ready? Yes. Okay. Tell me the rest. What's the question? I'm sorry. What's the question? What's the question again? The question was, what was the rest of your military experience like after after you left the JAG office? You had to continue on serving, right? What was that? Yes, I did. Now that this was the recent past. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, yes, I had to... um, Connect, collect myself, and figure out how to continue on. So, um, so that that was a really big part of my my journey. So, um, so yeah. So okay, okay. So when I um had that situation happen to me, and I continue on in my life, and I came back to my unit after I had the. Um, the um the month off that I had. Um, I, I'm not gonna lie to you, it wasn't the best experience that I had. Um and, and I have a lot of other trauma uh, experience in that. And it's important for us to talk about these experiences because it helps other individuals understand what we go through sometimes mm-hmm. and what um experiences that we have they may not be uh, positive experiences, right? But they're important to understand because 
we used to be well service members, we go through these things. And these are things that we experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, so after I left that situation, um, um, everything was cool um, up until I got pregnant again. So I had um, met a man, and I got pregnant with this man, and um, he about to have a baby. And during this pregnancy, um, you know, it was, it was amazing. You know, people have pregnancies, women have pregnancies, and they're amazing. For me, it was very difficult because so I had an experience when I didn't keep the pregnancy. So the pregnancy that I was experiencing was not the best experience. It wasn't like, you know, super joyous. I was having all of the, the experience of post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Mm-hmm. Having nightmares, they having um, the inability to sleep, having hypersensitivity, all of those things I was having. And I didn't realize I was having those things. Um, so I had my daughter. You know, that's my first daughter. And I had her. And um, after I had her, I uh, I committed suicide. So this was all during the time that I'm at duty. So... Was it postpartum in conjunction with everything? So yes, yes. So that that's the thing is that so I I committed suicide. And um, a friend of mine, she was there at my house. And she was able to call um, for help, and someone came to get me, and they came to talk to me about what I was experiencing. And a lot of the experience I was having was that I felt alone. You know, I felt so yeah. I felt that I was having pain outside of my physical pain. You know, I was having emotional pain. I just didn't know how to handle it. I was able to to have somebody come get me, right, and put me into a situation where I had safety, like twenty four seven. So I was in a situation where I was. Um, Hospitalized for about about two months, maybe two months, or whatnot. Um, and the hospitalization, you know, occurred with um, other individuals who were um, military, right? So I had some Air Force people that were there. Um, I can remember some of them uh, being that, you know, they had um, uh, maybe like. Um, food processing situations or like, uh, you know, something like that. So I have other people that I was in that situation with. So it's it's really interesting because so I was in that situation and I had other people that were working with me because I worked in the hospital. They came to, my, to see me there. So while you were in the ward, you were in the psych ward? And you had you they came to visit you or they just were there and they saw you there. Oh and you felt shame, you felt humiliated on top of it while you were trying to, you know, get better. Yes, exactly. So the experience that I was I was having when I was um 
experiencing on the ward. So I was on mental health ward and um, I was literally in the same situation where everybody I was working with was literally on the same ward that I was on. So it was super um, embarrassing. I was like drenched. I can't even explain how drenched I was in shame and guilt. You know, I was like, shame and guilt was like all over me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. people that I worked with came up to my, to the unit that I was in um, because I was in the hospital. And they were just like, why are you here? And what are you doing here? You know, and they literally question, like, why? Why, Kim? Why are you here? Because we don't think anything's wrong with you. It was like, and I think a lot with my um, people that come to my page. I'm like, the shame and guilt that you experience and that you internalize, none of that, none of that is yours. That doesn't belong to you. That's right. right? That belongs to somebody else that belongs to the man who violated you right that belongs to the other person that does not belong to you yeah it took me a long yeah yes it took me a long fucking time to understand that it did not belong to me I, I I know I cry a lot I'm just like I feel like I'm just too emotional right now because it's like it's like I really want people to understand that it does not belong to you. That that shame is ne- was never yours. It was never yours to to take on. You know what I'm saying? Like it was never yours. Somebody else belongs. It belongs to somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. so. So for me, so for me, living in that. That mental health award, right? It was very difficult for me because it was like my comrades and everybody else saw me in there and they were like, oh, you know, you're here and you have a mental health condition and you're crazy, you know? (laughs) So I was so embarrassed um, to be in there. And let me tell you, so what happened to me? So I left. I left that um, that mental health ward, and I saw a mental health professional. Right. So the person who I who did my excellent exam, he was a mental health professional, and. The thing that he told me. So when I went there him, he was explaining to me how I was a weak dog. So basically what he told me was what he told me was no offense. But we don't want weak dogs in our army. Oh my God. So, what I learned really on in my experience in the military is that it doesn't matter what happens to you. What matters 
is that you don't show it. And that's not true. That's not true. That's horrible. You can't stop at that. So it's, it's funny to say this right now. Like, to me, it's hilarious. You know, it's like, what the heck, right? You can't stop at this. He says, we don't want we dogs money. But then he went on to say that you don't stop talking about what's going on with you. I would diagnose you with a personality disorder. What? He said that he was going to diagnose you with a personality disorder if you didn't stop talking about your feelings or what happened to you or your traumas. You were going to get diagnosed with a personality dis- disorder. And we know that means you get kicked out of the military with no benefits. He threatened you with that. Yes. You know this oh now. God. But at the time that I was in this situation, I didn't know that. I know this now. I know that mm-hmm. we can't say yes. Okay, do that. Because if we do, <laughs> we will be pre-diagnosed pre- with a pre-existing condition. But the time that I was experiencing this, I didn't know this. So I was like, so he told me, if you hurt yourself, because he asked me, he said, why are you trying to kill yourself? Because I tried to kill myself. I tried to kill myself. I tried to. In my life. <laughs> He asked me, why are you trying to do this? And I said, I don't know. I told him that I had a lot of pain inside of me, and I didn't know what to do with that. And the answer that he told me was that if I continue to do this, he would diagnose me with a personality the problem is, is that I worked in a TBI clinic. So I already knew that if you don't get diagnosed with a personality disorder, that's it. You don't get to You don't get to have. I'm sorry. Take your time. If you get diagnosed with a personality disorder, you don't get to have. The, uh, the benefits that other people get. So I already knew that because I worked in a clinic where I served PBI patients. So the people that came to my clinic were, were, were individuals who had traumatic brain injuries. And it, it's really interesting to know but I had a brain injury. I had a traumatic brain injury. And nobody knew about that. Not one person in my unit that I was advocating for. And in the idea that I had one. Did you not have any symptoms or... They just didn't see them. So they didn't recognize the symptoms so, in you, even though they worked in that unit. So no, no. Okay, so I had um, the symptoms. I had all the symptoms of having a brain disorder, of having um, 
lower cognitive function of having like excessive sleepiness, all those things that would happen, right, with a, a brain disorder, right? Mm-hmm. I was having all those symptoms, and no one saw nobody saw them. The reason why I didn't see them was because I was a female, and they thought that I did not have those symptoms. The only solid symptoms for those that were experiencing combat disorders. <laughs> so they literally tested me for so I'm sorry. They tested me for um narcolepsy. They tested me for sleep disorders, but they didn't test me for brain disorders. <laughs> I just I was literally experiencing a brain disorder, and I had like I had no idea that I was that I was having these problems. So they're testing you for everything, but but what you really had was a brain disorder. Yes. So during that sexual assault that I had, um, I had a head injury and I was knocked unconscious. And um, because I didn't tell anybody about the situation, it was it was hard to prove. They didn't believe that you received the brain injury during the assault. Or they didn't believe you had the brain injury at all. Okay, so when I had the brain injury, right, um, I asked to go because because I'm pregnant. The only reason why they chose to acknowledge the situation because I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then when I asked to go even asked to go home. They were like, okay, well, she went home and everything was fine. And when I went home, I chose to have an abortion. So when I had the abortion, like, we're back to a unit. Everything went back to normal. Like, the, the judge officer was like, well, you have more evidence, so... Now we're back to normal and everything back to normal. My you know back to normal. Every person was involved. Most like it never happened. And what about the guy? Did you still have to see him every day? You did? Yes. That's horrible. How did you how did you cope with that? How did you handle that? Yes. Yes. Had um, to Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So everything went back to normal for everybody else is my point, but not you. Number one, because you have a brain injury. 
number two, because you had to give up your baby, and number three, because he got to get away with it. So while everybody, I don't even understand. Like, I'm so pissed that I can't even <laughs> function properly right now. Like, I don't understand. So you just come back and because there's no baby, everyone's like, oh, you can walk down the hall with her again and act like everything's normal. Like, what kind of disgusting people is People would sit down at a table and I would sit down and they would like, oh, walk away. Oh, honey. And that all changed when I came back? It did, it did change. It changed oh. when I went back. When I came back, after I had abortion, it changed. <laughs> so it reinforced the decision I made. And so when you told the doctor <sighs> that you had so much pain inside... This is all part of it. I told him that it hurt me really bad. It was really hurting me. He said, he said that he was sorry. He said, he said that what he said was that he was sorry that it hurt, hurting me so bad. But, but he didn't want to leave dogs in the army. Oh, my God. What it is always astonishing to me what kind of people get to just roam this earth sometimes. Like that is one of the most horrible things I've ever heard, probably in my life. It's on my list of the most horrible things I've ever heard. I mean, here you are grieving so many things dealing with postpartum more than likely you have a traumatic brain injury and well, the doctor's telling you all this. That's why he diagnosed me with postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. but I still told you we, sure. that's bad too. Here you have postpartum and he's like, we don't want weak dogs in the army. Like what the heck as a woman that's like affronts my very femininity. Like, as a mother and as a woman who dealt with postpartum depression myself, by the way, and pregnancy depression with my first son, that just is just horrible, horrible bedside manner, to say the very least. So, what happened after that? So, you, you, didn't, get, you didn't get kicked out, and you stayed in? No. What happened then? Yes, I did. Okay. Oh, so what? Tell me, how did this occur? This is how you got out of the military. So tell me that. Yeah. So I love the military. Um, everything about the military was, was really exciting for me, except that um, the leadership and the things that um, you know were really um, inspiring to me. They were really something that actually um, was negative for me. If that sounded like it ended abruptly, well, it did. By the time 
we got to that part, we were so, both of us, emotional. And we decided to take a moment to collect ourselves. And we just couldn't. It was the first time that Kim was telling her story in public. And it's a big story. And it's full of horrible things, to be honest. And her experience, the things that she had to overcome. Well, you'll hear more of that in the second part of the episode. It's coming soon, so stay tuned for that. We couldn't get back together for about two weeks. Life just got in the way. And COVID got in the way. And when we finally did get back together to record the second half of the story, it seemed like the whole world had changed. We had changed. And it was a privilege to sit down with Kim and hear the rest of her story. And it gets worse before it gets better. But you know what? It gets better. And I can't wait for you to hear it. So stay tuned. And thank you for listening. I appreciate you. I love you guys. And I'll see you next time.